In this episode, Ryan and I discuss capital, opportunity, and Austrian economics, and we had fun doing it. Hope you enjoy, and thank you for listening. All right, welcome to the Banking with Life podcast. My name is James Nethery. I'm your host. And I'm your co-host, Ryan Griggs. And by golly, we're having tons of fun this morning. Mm-hmm. And, uh, Unscheduled, unscripted. As usual. <laughs> fun. But uh, I think it's going to be lively. It's unscripted as usual, but you know, for the last five minutes, Mr. Griggs has been copiously putting together on the drive here i had no idea i mean you told me yesterday like what should we talk about and i was like i don't know still didn't know on the drive over that was a question what should we talk about it was i didn't have an answer uh, but by gosh i got here i was listening to a previous episode that by the time this is out will be available i think it already is it was your interview with dr paul cleveland oh i love paul cleveland yeah that was a good episode you, you, had, you had some hilarious lines in there I did? <laughs> yes. When you were talking about, the subject was John Stuart Mill and utilitarianism. And Paul had mentioned that Stuart, oh, that Mill, Mill referred to measurements of happiness as, as utils. Yes. And then quickly mentioned after that, he was recalling the time when uh, Bill Clinton was in office and Clinton had said something to the effect that he felt Americans pain. <laughs> <laughs> And I think it was you or him who said that he's feeling all sorts of things while he was in office <laughs> and that his utils were off the charts. <laughs> well, I don't recall saying that, but I know I did. <laughs> oh, that was hilarious. I about burst out laughing while in the car. Perfect. So y'all need to go listen to that interview. Uh, I'm glad you enjoyed that. But so <clears throat> another part of that interview that made me, got me thinking was when Dr. Cleveland was talking about how he's used his policies. And so he practices the infinite banking concept himself, pays substantial premium, builds cash value, uses policy loan to finance the things that he was going to finance anyway, and also the things that he might not could have financed had he not had well-funded dividend-paying whole life insurance policies. Like, he said, his business. Right. And so I got to, and that's been the subject of things that I've talked about in the past, right? On YouTube, you can go back and get the February 2019 Nelson Nash Institute, the last uh, think tank that Nelson attended mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, that I had the privilege to speak at when the subject, part of the subject was uh, capital and how Nelson has an essentially Austrian, in terms of the Austrian School of Economics, an Austrian understanding of capital and then there are places within a couple books so this one's becoming your own banker his first book and then i'm going to hold up two for a reason we'll explain later (laughs) (laughs) but then uh in his second book building your warehouse of wealth has of course some mention of capital and some stories about how capital related to opportunity, to investment opportunity, to entrepreneurial opportunity for Nelson in his own life. So over the course of this of time here today, we're going to tie some threads together, including using uh, Ludwig von Mises's giant uh, human action. And I'll only read from a small portion of it. <laughs> could go on forever. But uh, yeah, we're going to connect all those threads. And you know, what better place to do it than on the Banking with Life podcast? I can't think of a better place. So we're talking about capital. We're talking about capital. Let's get it done, man. Nothing happens without capital. Nothing. That's exactly right. I know you said before that the oldest profession in the world is 
is not what we're taught mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. the oldest profession in the world was financed. So right. the financing have to happen first, mm-hmm. right? There's an exchange of value. The yep. money's paid first. You don't get product until you pay. Mm. Right? I'm just saying. Well, last thing that happens is the businessman gets paid. <laughs> if he gets paid. <laughs> if he gets paid. <laughs> <laughs> thank God that he's out there taking the risk, or she. Thank God for the businessman. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Otherwise, who would the politicians have to steal from? Uh, mm. The all-American individual that's not in business, that's mm. working for the government contractors? Mm. I don't know. I'm just... But it is easier to steal from the businessman. Mm-hmm. Anyway, <clears throat> we can talk in a long time about theft of private property. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's the only way the government raises any money. And speaking yeah, okay. of the government, talk about the institution that people have become so dependent upon, the government. And Nelson, and turning to becoming your own banker, explains why when he talks about, on page 31, uh, the golden rule that those who have the gold make the rules. And the government nowadays has amassed so much capital, so much uh, material and financial wealth that turns out they make the rules a lot of the time. (laughs) You know, Nelson used to say, since you mentioned the word dependency, there's a great element of worship in dependency. Mm. You wind up, man winds up worshiping that in which he's, on which he's dependent Mm -hmm. upon, so. Okay, the golden rule here in becoming your own banker. Yeah, all right, so quick little paragraph and it'll take us to the idea of capital. All right, so Nelson says, we all have the tendency to chuckle when we see this perversion of a principle that was learned in childhood, one that serves us very well that we should do unto others as we would have them do unto us. But this corruption is very true also, speaking of the idea that those who have the gold make the rules. I think that it is a pity that it is not often looked upon with favor. Perhaps it is because we have almost lost the concept of what capitalism is all about. We have almost lost the concept of what capitalism is all about. The common man has become so infatuated with living for today that the importance of saving, of creating capital, is all but a lost value. The importance of saving of creating capital is all but a lost value. You know, when economists define saving so often, they say it's just the opposite of income. You know, foregone income. You know, you make some income, you don't spend, or the opposite of consumption, excuse me, the opposite of consumption. You make some income, you're gonna use some of it to consume, to go out and buy some other stuff, and that which you don't use for consumption purposes, well, that's saving. It's just the inverse of consumption, right? What's left over after income? Not the seconds, the sloppy seconds, you know? It's like, come on, man. What I love so much about how Nelson phrases it here, it's that he uses little hyphens, and when he talks about the importance of saving, hyphen, of creating capital. I mean, to me, as I read that, he's defining saving as the act of capital creation. And compared to how the economists put it so often, it sounds, it's positive. You know, you're, you're not leaving something behind. You know, it's that you're creating, you're creating capital. I mean, you could get biblical with that, you know, about how it's man's uh, obligation to go about and create. And, mm, yeah. I believe we can. I think yeah. Nelson is being very generous right there as well. How do you mean? As always. I'll read the first part of that again. That the, <clears throat> we're about the common man or the? Yeah. 
up there, he's being generous in that we have all but lost mm. this mm-hmm. idea of savings yeah. and creating capital. I mean, the common man has become so infatuated with living for today that the importance of saving of creating capital is all but a lost value. It's I, <clears throat> I'm 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 just saying that he's being generous. The idea of underconsuming, right? Your earnings, your mm. income, underconsuming, that requires discipline, right? Now we're you're defining, mm. you're drawing out what Nelson has, um, how Nelson has. Uh, defined capital mm-hmm. right i'm just saying that the art of or the act of saving the discipline that's required to accumulate capital is lost not yeah. all but lost i think it's almost as if that's why his discussion of parkinson's law comes before the golden <laughs> rule hmm. Hmm. you know there are some people who think that nelson just threw a bunch of stuff together mm-hmm. and it ended up in the order that it ended up in chose certain endorsements and not others. And they just ended up there on an accident. It happens that it's on purpose. Yes, I it mean, is on purpose. Makes sense that it would be right. Of course you have to have discipline in order to save. Yeah. Yeah. Can't create capital if you don't save. Can't create capital if you don't have discipline. Uh, don't jump over that though. Is people, all yeah, if people say, what do you have to do to start infinite banking? You know, what are the costs? Which we've read. talked about before. I got to read something. <laughs> oh my gosh, it's going to cost me something. I got to forego something. You know, time doing it's, other things. It's almost as if we're bound by scarcity and have to choose between certain options. Uh, you know what? I am bound by scarcity. I have a limited amount of time. Man, there's a lot here. Y'all need to rewind this. Just start from the beginning. <laughs> this is good. So we mentioned capital. Nelson defined capital as the, or excuse me, defined saving as the creation of capital, right? Mm-hmm. And then in the back of Becoming Your Own Banker, page 87, he's got a nice little glossary, right? And the words that are marked with asterisks are the ones that he discussed, right? That he, glossary. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. So we've got capital, and he says, uh, "I'm going to read this very carefully." <laughs> uh, <laughs> accumulated possessions, calculated to bring income. Accumulated assets, resources, sources of strength or advantages, utilized to aid in accomplishing an end or furthering a pursuit. One more time. Don't knock repetition. One more time. Right. Accumulated possessions calculated to bring in income. Accumulated assets, resources, sources of strength, or advantages utilized to aid in accomplishing an end or furthering a pursuit. You know, Carl Manger, who is the founder of the Austrian School of Economics, used to talk about, used to talk about 1888, German article yet to be translated, totally neglected. Yeah. Well, maybe the libertarians or the Austrians are gather up enough money to afford that translation someday. 150 years later, still waiting. Why don't you loan them uh, some money to <laughs> help them out? I think I, that we should just do that and put it out there, publish it, keep the rights, you know, endorse it the way we want. <laughs> um, right. But yeah, that. it's it's still it's been neglected. But some professors have translated portions and published their own articles, so we can go and access and see what Menger had to say about capital 17 years after he wrote his first book, Principles of Economics in 1871. And he defined capital as the financial value, the monetary value of assets with acquisitive purpose, 
right? So you've got property, you've got a car, you've got a house, dividend paying whole life, a bank account, checking account. Stock account. You, whatever it is, right? Property that you own, your private Cows. property. Well, yeah, cattle, I mean, fact, equipment, yeah, uh, sure. tree shears, tractors, I mean, whatever it might be. You know, Machinery. Mm-hmm. Stuff, you've got stuff. Either tangible stuff or maybe uh, intangible stuff that's only contractual, right? Yeah, like rights. Right. Exactly, yeah. Copyrights. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Contractual agreements. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Property. That has value, right? And that value can be used to acquire other things, you know, in action, right? To achieve your ends, to uh, aid in accomplishing an end or furthering a pursuit. Ooh. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The title of that talk in February was Why Nelson is an Heir to Manger. Yeah, no, I'm glad you... Um, is that is that published your talk your talk that you gave at the NNI Nelson Nash, Nelson Nash Institute that you've referred to um, in 2019 Nelson yeah, NNI 2019 mm-hmm. you should really you should go and listen to that because um, you've drawn out capital and focused on capital within the infinite banking world mm-hmm. within the infinite banking footprint um, more so than anyone that I recall. Well, Since and, Nelson. and let me say that there, the reason that I got into doing that was because every other Austrian except for, and when I say Austrian, I mean people who write and talk about Austrian economics, every other one of them except for like two, right, living Austrians consider capital to be, to be what they call a heterogeneous intertemporal structure of production. That's a long way my eyes are starting to roll back (laughs) in my head all that's saying is that it's the stuff used to make other stuff that's it it's sequentially ordered in time where the beginning is the raw materials that start out at the very beginning at the process of a production and the end of it is the act of consumption by the consumer so there's these stages these orders these sequence (coughs) of productive activities that separate the initial act of raw material resourcing or in economic terms where you've got land and labor natural resources and labor that's at the beginning and then through time there is this intertemporal through time structure of production and heterogeneous just just means that the stuff in that structure is different Right, it's not all the same stuff. You can't quantify it all using the same uh, might, unit of measurement. It, it might take ten different raw products to create an end product. Uh, that's acres consumer. of land, tonnage sure. of equipment, sure. all these kinds of different things. Yeah. Thanks so, for breaking that down for me. You're welcome. Thank you for helping me. <laughs> that's what they mean, right? Yes. They mean physical stuff. The, yeah, the all machinery, right. whatever, everything mm-hmm. that it takes, the the physical things that it takes to produce. Physical and heterogeneous. Is their idea of capital the the yeah. vast majority uh, the, the the dominant opinion on capital? You question this, it's like you're kind of silly. Cool. Right? A lot of Austrians have made their careers discussing capital as a heterogeneous physical thing. Were they successful careers? I mean, by all sta- you know, by the accepted all professional the other standards. Austrians, yeah. So yeah, he's successful. And there are, to be fair to them, there are important. I love Austrians. <laughs> there are important, helpful distinctions to be made by comparing that idea of capital as physical and heterogeneous to other economists' idea of capital. Right? Other yes. economists have other ideas of capital, and there, there are good things to make oneself aware of by noticing that the productive factors in a given production process are different. You can't just treat it all as the same. Um, 
Um, we don't have to get into all that why, but you know, if you want more, go and type in solo growth model and S O L O W and you see what we're talking about. But um, so there's some important distinctions, but there's also two things. One, a departure from what the old Aust the, the dominant Austrians, the Austrians of of the past, right? Ludwig von Mises, Karl Menger. There's a departure in the treatment of capital as the heterogeneous physical production structure as opposed to what Mises and Menger talked about, right? Which, as we'll make clear in a second, is uh, the financial idea, the monetary idea. So it's at, as opposed to physical, it's an abstract idea, right? This, it's a monetary value, it's abstract, it's in the mind of the entrepreneur, it's not anywhere concept, else. Concept, mm -hmm. abstract Concept, idea. oh, oh <laughs> infinite wow. thinking, what? Concept, oh. yeah. All right, so it's an abstract idea, mm -hmm. right? And whereas, capital in the physical heterogeneous sense, well, whereas capital in the physical sense is heterogeneous, right? Different in kind, different in units, different in measurement. Capital in the financial monetary sense is homogenous, right? It's denominated in dollars. It kind of sounds repetitive, but if it's a monetary idea, it must be homogenous, right? It's denominated in the same unit, right? Pick your currency, you know? It's denominated in the same unit. So the businessman can sit back and reflect and think about what he believes to be the capital value, the capital of different things that he might own, that he might acquire. And what means he, he wants The to. different things that might yield advantages that would help accomplish an end or further a pursuit. Accomplish an end. Right. Other a pursuit. And yep. the, the important, <clears throat> the bridge between, oh, see, this is why I wanted to talk about this. The, the, the important bridge. I draw this out of this. He does. <laughs> he absolutely does. This is why, this is the, the bridge between the physical heterogeneous stuff and the, that view of capital and the, the monetary, financial, abstract, homogenous view of capital is calculation. Ooh. Right? And it's the entrepreneur who does the calculating, right? So going back to Nelson's definition here, right? Accumulated possessions calculated to bring in income. Now, did was Nelson talking about the same type of calculation that you get in human action written by Muses? I don't know, but sure is convenient that it's the same word. Oh, it's convenient. What? Words have meaning. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So turning to pivoting off of calculation, I'm going to go to human action. Okay. All right. This is, so human action, for those who don't know, is like the 20th century treatise in Austrian economics written by a guy named Ludwig von Mises, 900 and some odd pages. You can get it for free at Mises.org, PDF version, right? You can buy it on Amazon for super cheap. Um, Mises is where it really started. When Murray Rothbard, who, let, who wrote later, uh, wrote a man economy and state his goal was to write uh, a, a textbook based on human action meant for a, a broader audience but in the course of writing it Rothbard discovered that oh I've got more to say than what's in Mises and so he you know it became something different but that's th this is where it started okay did wasn't there a study guide written to that man economy and state there is yep Bob Murphy has study guides both to human action and to Man, economy, and state. Also on Mises.org, also free. God bless you, Bob. Yeah. Okay. So I'm on page 261, <clears throat> and in whatever, the, pa the paper copy scholar edition published by the Mises Institute. Um, 
Copyright date is 1998 for this particular version. All right, 261. The whole complex of goods destined for acquisition is evaluated in money terms. And this sum, the capital, is the starting point of economic calculation. The immediate end of acquisitive action is to increase, or at least to preserve the capital. That amount which can be consumed within a definite period without lowering the capital is called income. Hmm. If consumption exceeds the income available, the difference is called capital consumption. Liquidation. If the income available is greater than the amount consumed, the difference is called saving. Among the main tasks of economic calculation are those of establishing the magnitudes of income, saving, and capital consumption. This has got to be my favorite passage in this book. Um, so attention, <laughs> other Austrians. <laughs> uh, Mises considered capital to be, in money terms, the entrepreneur's evaluation of the complex of good destined for acquisition. Just like Menger said, the financial, the monetary value monetary. Yeah. of assets with acquisitive purpose, right? This is what Nelson wrote in Becoming Your Own Banker in different words at an earlier publication date. Yep. Yeah. There could just as well be a direct citation. I mean, he could have copied and pasted. A uh, couple things. Notice that income itself uh, is defined in terms of capital. It's almost as if if you don't have a monetary financial understanding of capital, you kick the the blocks out from underneath the definition of income. Yes. Like you've got to have, yep. in order to understand income, you got to have capital, right? How do you know income is income? Okay, you made whatever, five grand in a month. Is that income? Well, it depends on what had to be expended in order to generate that income. It's capital. Right? It could be capital consumption, right? Might have had to spend seven to make five. Well, in that case, that ain't income. You just consumed capital, <laughs> right? And the businessman is going to make an adjustment. <laughs> Absolutely. The entrepreneur is going to make it the recalculate the, the potential future income generated from assets, right? Yep. Um, we're going to get less abstract and more material here in a minute by using Nelson's third book third book sorry nelson's second book the third book that we'll reference today building your warehouse of wealth um but my point here so far is that capital is central to nelson he defined saving in terms of capital mm -hmm. and just like mises also defined mises did just as nelson had done and defined income and saving in terms of capital. So we have to have a the, the starting point, literally the starting point, the capital in Mises' terms is the starting point of economic calculation, right? So uh, I think the <laughs> implications for this are so tremendous because what a lot of Austrians care about is the calculation problem, right? So in the after World War One, World War Two time, there's the calculation debate, you know, among the, among the academics wondering whether it's possible to calculate in a socialist economy where there's one owner of all the means of production, right? And Mises' point was 
that no, you, you cannot yeah. calculate. You have economic irrationality under socialism because entrepreneurs can't calculate. They own right? the production in addition to the means of production. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And if there's only one owner, then there aren't there by definition can't be any markets. If there's no markets, there's no trade. Uh, under socialism, if, the, if there's no market, if there's no trade, then there's no need for an item to facilitate trade, which is money. Right? So if you've eliminated money, you've kicked out the language in which entrepreneurs perform calculation. Right? Calculations of capital itself is a monetary idea. Right? So calculation is performed in terms of money. Well, if you don't have trade under socialism, then you don't have a need for money. If you don't have money, you can't calculate. If you can't calculate, you don't have capital. If you don't have capital, you have irrational economic activity, right? That was Mises' point. And a lot of Austrians today hang their hat and say, yes, I'm in that tradition, right? I, I'm, I'm walking in the steps of the same guy who said socialism is impossible because of the calculation problem, what the term came to be called the calculation problem well (laughs) so at the same time you have a lot of austrians who hang their hat on the calculation problem who at the same time have a physical heterogeneous conception of capital and it's like you can't you can't have both you know to understand calculation requires a monetary abstract understanding of capital so it's like in my view this is a increasingly obvious schism a, 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 like a, a crevice in the intellectual history of Austrian economics we've got to merge these back together integrate them back together right have a sophisticated understanding of what capital is and so much of what people accomplish with the infinite banking concept in my view from an economic perspective has to do with capital <laughs> no right. question and, uh, now I can see um, I can see it's a problem Right. I mean, and so why don't you just correct that problem, young man? Well, it's almost as if I should write a dissertation about it. it. Oh my goodness! <laughs> Sounds like an opportunity. Now I can I can already envision some um, feedback for you. What about the you know island with one coconut tree and you've got a ah, shipwrecked yeah. individual on there and there's no money per se. Robinson Crusoe, is there still capital? And I would say, and Mises I think would say that you only get capital in a, in a monetary capitalist system. That's the only time that uh, Mises' understanding of capital can arise because you need money. Money is just, and there's all sorts of. <laughs> everybody's got a different definition of what money is, right? Is it the unit of currency? Is, is it the, the unit of account? Latest, right. right. Yes. Yes. <laughs> is it anything that you use to exchange? Um, what about a tally stick? It, I mean, exactly a measuring stick, right? Uh, as if value is something that can be measured, which it's not, right? If <laughs> Well, the whole rabbit hole there, but money is the general medium of exchange. Yes. It is. And the reason money is the most, is the general medium of exchange is because that money is what Mises called the most saleable asset, right? The most liquid asset, the thing that can most easily be exchanged, the most marketable good, the most saleable, the, the most liquid asset, the, uh, and, and then, that's, so that's how money becomes the general medium of exchange. And then in practical economic life, money becomes the payment for the final settlement, settlement of transactions, right? Another key point. So, you know, you might use the, the reason that, for example, different loan instruments aren't themselves money is because 
further transactions are required to yes. finally settle that exchange, yes. right? Uh, and then in the United States, it just so happens that we treat money as the U.S. dollar because we subject our subjective in our subjective experience, we feel that the that payment is settled when we receive uh, U.S. dollars. Now, there's also <laughs> I don't get too complicated, but there's also <laughs> uh, perfect money substitutes, right? Things that are not precisely money, but act, people act in economic life as if they were, right? Yes. One example is your uh, checking account, your demand deposit at the bank, right? If you swipe your debit card at the grocery store, the grocer considers that transaction settled, right? Even though the digits on the screen are not exactly themselves money, right? right. And that gets into, to understand that, we gotta go into fractional reserve banking, and oh my gosh, <laughs> this is one episode, we're only 30 minutes in, but uh, can I mean, only go just, through so you're much. You're just getting going, I mean, come on, that's why. <laughs> <laughs> well, I wanna bring it home to... Jeez, yes. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, it, no, it's... it's I, wanna bring it, I wanna bring it home to why it matters for us, why it matters to you, why it matters for the purposes of the infinite banking concept. Uh, why it matters for the financial profession, uh, why it matters, why it matters for financial agents and advisors. Um, this is this was the subject that's further explicated in the talk I gave in February, uh, and I think it's crucial actually that the understanding this idea of capital and how it relates to opportunity is crucial for a proper mental situation of what. IBC is relative to tax qualified plans, retirement planning, a checking account at the bank. Now you're taking it home. Keep going. Now I'm taking man. it home. Yes. Yeah. So now, the, now I'm interested. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, we had to lay that groundwork first. Yeah. Look, Nelson is an heir to Manger. He's no right there in line with Mises. He's right, as we've shown, you know, rewind it, listen to it again if you missed it. That, that, that was my point there, is that this is the ground Nelson's standing on, right? And why does that matter? Because the infinite banking concept came from Nelson, right? So we're attaching infinite banking, the infinite banking concept, to a legitimate history tradition of economics within the Austrian school. And it makes right. complete and perfect sense. And since I brought it, you brought it up, we brought it up, I'm going to, can I put a link to your talk in the notes? Oh, well, yeah, please do. So, yeah. anyway, <clears throat> I mean, so you mentioned my name in there once or twice, so, you know, I kind of want to, I'm kidding. And for good that, that's a really, it's an outstanding talk, you know, and I think it's going to help you know, because that you you probably spoke for an hour, forty five minutes. Forty five, yeah. So and there's a lot. There is a there's lot. There's a lot there. in there for sure. Like and there's I a think lot. It's in this very episode. beneficial for the think tank for the infinite banking practitioner, and I think it's very valuable to the general listener. Yeah, it'll help. Okay. So bringing it home to the you and me level, yeah. um, we're going to go to this book, Building Your Warehouse of Wealth which it turns out has been printed more than once. First printing, second printing, that's uh -huh. popular books, that happens. Yeah. So this is, it's different ways to tell which printing you're dealing with. Let's see this. <laughs> <laughs> second printing in 2018. This is the other, sure looks the same. Hmm. Uh, I wonder if anything else has been changed. Different printing in 2012. Um, so 2012, 2018, two printings. Um, one, just, one, one print, the original printing, this one happens to be signed by Nelson, says 
in the initial matter. Uh, in 2005, after 14 years of success in the life insurance and financial services industry, several designation and literally thousands of hours of training and CE coursework, I finally learned the truth about money because of the inspired original work of R. Nelson Nash and becoming your own banker. It is an absolutely powerful yet simple paradigm shift in the economic thinking and the human action of the individual. Now, with building your warehouse of wealth, Nelson eloquently expands the understanding of money, human action, human action human action oh my gosh he wrote that did a human did an action Austrian and, the, write and that? the power of the reader's thinking nelson's mentor leonard e reed would be proud i'm gonna finish this building your warehouse of wealth and becoming your own banker should be required reading of every life insurance every life insurance agent insurance company home office employee and every financial practitioner of any sort as a matter of fact this is an absolute must read if you have any interest in the truth about money can you guess who said those words i know who said that <laughs> James C. Nethery, 20-plus-year veteran of the life insurance and financial services industry. Yeah. So that's this that's book. Pretty that's, damn good. And you told a, an important story that I think is necessary for the, you know, to preserve oral history uh, about the nature of this endorsement. Um, you want to retell that? Well, okay, so... I mean, was this book published on time, or did you delay <laughs> that for some reason? So... You know, just before the cameras turned on, you know, I show up with an empty notepad, maybe the date and time and maybe a topic. And Mr. Griggs here has all these books scattered out, right? He's all fired up driving down from, you know, his house this morning and listening to, I uh, appreciate that uh, mention of Dr. Paul Cleveland and uh, mm -hmm. his podcast and it was funny. And so as he's going through these books, you know, I'm like, wait a minute, you know, I've read them, but I didn't read them this morning. These books that he's got laid out on the table. So I don't want to even get too far ahead of me, you know, and just be the side guy here. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so he's, he's noting up, you know, marking the uh, pages that he wants to reference. And, and I picked up the book and I thought, oh my gosh, this is different. I don't remember this. And I read this, I read the manuscript before this was printed. Mm-hmm building your warehouse of well i highly recommend it and um that endorsement in there nelson nash himself asked me to endorse this book as well as others there's some other uh financial people in here and this is the original printing and i'm and i was sharing with ryan oh i, I discovered that it the endorsement was not in the recent printing of 2018 and i didn't even know that this book was the second printing was in 2018. But the endorsements are not in there. The 2018 printing mm -hmm. from the financial services or financial professionals, insurance agents. But there are, there's, they pared down the endorsements. Mm -hmm. They've taken about five endorsements out Pretty in this unusual. 2018 printing. Mine was one of them. And I thought, dang it. Um, it's like, oh, my feelings are hurt. But no, oh, my feelings aren't not necessarily hurt because Nelson Nash himself asked me to write that endorsement and the story that you're asking me to retell I was continuing on with Ryan before the camera was on I'm like I can't believe that you know Nelson was giving a presentation in 2012 and I was there and he said boy are you going to send me that endorsement I'm supposed to have this book to the publisher two weeks ago Nelson held up the printing of that book waiting for my endorsement uh, <laughs> So, and I think hear, that's important to 
to hear you read that, leave it I thought, dang, that's a good endorsement. I mean, I haven't read the endorsement since I've written, since I wrote it, you mm-hmm. know? So thank you for pointing that out. Yeah, man. I think it's important that there be a record of all that. Because you wouldn't know by looking at the... I have a few copies. But I have now to not keep them, don't tell them. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to have a conversation with Mr. Stearns about this. Hmm. David. Yeah. So that's the book that we're that I'm going to use to bring this little discussion about capital and opportunity home. And in the seminar that I teach, mm-hmm. that <laughs> another little plug, uh, Nelson used to <laughs> Shameless do. Shameless plug. This is, are you trying to drum up some leads? What are you doing? My gosh. We no. talked about this in the last <laughs> podcast or the last episode. Um, I mean, listen, and let me clarify. Look, peace, I, love, and chick, or love, it, peace, and chicken grease right. is the title of the episode that I'm talking about yes. that we and let me be clear, I welcome interest from other agents. I have, I'm coaching two now, yeah. and that's been wonderful, mutually beneficial. They're getting something out of it. I'm getting something out of it. We're doing exciting projects together. We, our relationship is like that. I totally welcome that. What I'm not interested in is someone seeking lead generation or wanting to see what my policies look like or wanting something, other versions of wanting something for nothing. Mm. Right. That's what I'm not interested in. Thanks and for the clarity. <laughs> regardless of who tells you that that's what you should go look for. I'm not, uh, I'm not interested. Right. If you want to spend the time, you want to you know, go as deep as I go. My gosh, we can. You're, you are very generous with your time. Yeah, he is too, very generous with this time. Yeah, probably so, too generous. <clears throat> uh, okay. So we're, you're taking it home, young man. Right. So a little story, a little story about Nelson and his experience with his own policies. And people ask us, you know, have examples you know how's this happen and it's like my gosh go to the source all right well here's an example for why you ought to get these books and learn about the infinite banking concept this is nelson speaking i was a pilot in the alabama army national guard in 1971 one of my fellow pilots got between a rock and a hard place financially and needed to raise some money Imagine that. I'm suddenly low on funds. <laughs> <laughs> that never happened. Yeah, never. Right. He knew I was educated as a forester and might be interested in buying the 100 acres of timberland he owned in northwest Alabama. He said, quote, I'll sell it to you for $50 per acre, and I will finance it for you for 10 years, end quote. I knew that was a good deal and took it, it made, and made monthly payments to him. This was not a speculative venture. It was property that I knew something about. Imagine that investing in things that you know something about. Only if he had the capital to do it. Remember, I'm educated as a forester and worked in that field for 10 years. About 18 months later, he called me again and requested that we get together to talk. (laughs) He said, quote, I underestimated my need for cash. If you will just pay off the debt on that land now, I will discount it 25 cents on the dollar. I knew that was a good deal, so I replied, (laughs) stand real still, and I'll be right back. I went directly to the regional state farm office and said, get me a $3,500 policy loan quickly before this young man changes his mind. In less than an hour, in less than an hour, I had a check in his hand. Bottom line, I had less than $38 per acre invested in that land. In 1985, I sold that land for $500 per acre, and I financed it for 10 years at 15% interest. Mm. 
My gosh, is that a capital gain and passive cash flow? Jeez. <laughs> With that income, I bought more life insurance. What? All those premiums become cost basis in the new policy, and I will get it back tax-free when I decide to draw passive income from it. During the following years, I made two more investments from policy, more investments from the same policy. Oh my God. From policy loans on this policy. The results were not quite this good, but they were highly profitable. These facts are not seen as you look at the graph. Let me say that again with a different word. These facts are not seen as you look at a life insurance illustration. Hmm. You mean I, you can't, there's no way to illustrate those rates of returns, hmm. that capital, all of the value of that activity? In fact, Free, you, in fact human action. you have to add these results to what is shown on the graph slash illustration to understand the total power of dividend paying whole life insurance. This is what building your warehouse of wealth is all about. You have almost immediate access to money to take advantage of opportunities that will surely appear. In fact, if you have a readily available pool of cash, opportunities will track you down. Bravo. What else do you... I mean, come on. I, I end the seminar with <laughs> that kind of story you and then other stories that you know from clients and it's like, Oh, oh, oh! Right. All right. So all those questions about oh, what's the, what's that internal rate of return on the cash value? Who cares? Is it four? Is it four and a half? Is, is it, it five? Guaranteed? Is it guaranteed? Is it, is it a dividend I, scale at five, six, do four I and a half, six point three? Yeah, and you know what the problem is with people who ask those questions? Not the, not the problem with okay. people, but the problem with the idea, with the thinking. The thinking is that they're so ingrained, they're so stuck in the prior yep. conventional <laughs> financial paradigm where single digit rates of return on investments are acceptable. What's $500 on $38 per acre times 100? Plus the interest income from the financing of it after the sale. I don't know. I don't care. And it's a lot more than four. It's a lot more than five. It's a lot more than 7.1 or 12 or whatever the financial entertainers allege that you can get in a mutual fund. And besides that, you know, listen, this is complicated. You've got to pay me to manage your money. So oh, and it ain't going to be cheap. Go ahead and don't look over here. Mm. Have to get your abdicate your responsibility <laughs> i'll take care of it for you you know i gotta say too that um spent a lot of time as much time as i could with nelson and he talked about that's not written in any book that he didn't talk about in any of the seminars that i attended that um when he presented but he financed uh way early on while he was still you know in the national guard early on um the military was getting rid of or upgrading some of their equipment mm. and some of their equipment that they were upgrading was a particular lens on aerial reconnaissance cameras. Hmm. And, you know, they changed them all over and, and the old cameras and lenses were going to be shipped off or whatever they do. Um, and Nelson bought that and it was quite expensive. I can't remember his, $2,200 or $3,200 for this particular camera. Back in but, like the 80s or something? No, further, further even back. Even further back. That, oh, yeah. It, it would Expensive. be like in the 50s. Mm. Oh, wow. Um, maybe the early 60s. 
and he financed that with a policy loan. That was one of his larger, early large policy loans. Mm-hmm. So, and then he, I think he talks about it in other places. I know he talked about it in seminars. He may have been written about in other places. The uh, attorney that just couldn't get past the word life insurance, you know, Nelson told him the wonderful benefits and power, powerful, you know, characteristics of life insurance structured this way. And the attorney, because um, they can read, couldn't <laughs> get past the word life insurance, right? So the guy never bought life insurance, but Nelson did finance his airplane. And Nelson <laughs> took the payments from that endeavor and bought the life insurance that he was trying to get the attorney to buy. <laughs> I mean, you can't make this stuff up. You really can't. So it's one, that good, you can't make it up. And all of those came from one policy. All of these endeavors came from one policy. Nelson had 49 policies at the height of his career. And we're talking about one policy investments he made because he had access to capital in one policy. And they tracked him down. They just tracked him down. <laughs> Opportunities track you down. I know we've talked about that quite a bit in the past, but. Um, I still talk about that with um, clients, prospective clients, that Wall Street really has it wrong. If you think about this, um, I'm Wall Street. Wall Street's going to create this wonderful product, right? That they're going to make money selling it. They're going to make money managing it. They're going to make money shorting it, and then they're going to make money rebuying it and doing it all over again. Um, but this great product that they've created. It's presented to the general public as a great opportunity. And oh. now this opportunity is so good that it's going to attract capital. That is completely bass backwards when mm. you understand oh, blow what up. Nelson is, has done. Yes. Just pile up money, mm-hmm. accumulate money with some discipline. Yeah. You know, fundamentally, just uh, spend less than you earn. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, it's hard, but it's worth it. And that's, I want to magnify that because what you're talking about is the direction of the flow, right? Do do people have to take their little meager 4% tax qualified plan match and go out and search for investment opportunities, right? Is that the paradigm that we have to live in or are the fish just the last to notice the water, right? Maybe instead the direction of flow should be opportunities to you, Right. Well, what's necessary for that? You've got to have access to a large pool of financial value. I mean, would this guy have come around offering Nelson to buy 100 acres of land if Nelson didn't have the capital with which to purchase it? No question. And the guy knew that Nelson had the capital to purchase it because they were, you know, flying around in these airplanes and they're sitting right next to each other. Oh, maybe they They had a few words every now and then. Long conversations, (laughs) you know. And people don't think about, you know, they think investing. Immediately, immediately we think stock market. Sure. Oh, mutual funds. Right. No. Unless you're unless you're an entrepreneur, you know, I mean, then you're Precisely. not necessarily thinking about the stock. As a matter of fact, most of the entrepreneurs that I talk to and the business owners that I talk to, they're like over the markets, you know. Yeah. And, and really the entrepreneur, the business owner, you know, that's the greatest 
um, investment that they have. Boom, right there. Their business, their endeavors, something that they know something about, which is exactly what Nelson said. Financial people beat us up all the time, us infinite banking guys, because we're hard on investing. Oh, yeah, and you're just laughing to yourself, man, trying to get a commission. It's like, actually, (laughs) your small mind has a diminished view of what investing really can be. Now be nice. I'm just saying that. <laughs> don't come at me accusing me of saying that I'm against investing. Quite the opposite. No, no question. Quite the, in fact, I'm for individuals achieving their maximum potential investments, which are usually, like you just said, their own business. Yes. And for even individuals, like, I know some, I have clients who are like, well, you know, listen, I'm not an entrepreneur. I'm not going to go start a business. I get that. I know. No problem. I'm not just talking about actual businesses you start. I'm talking about you. Right, you are your most profitable asset. Right, the the education you went and got so that you could perform your job well that was an investment. Yeah, your God given abilities and uh, talent is yeah. the way I convey it. But too, every every household in America functions like a business. Every household, all of them, every whether you like it or not. There's yeah. income. There's expenses. There's substantial capital purchases along the way my gosh you know you know the wedding costs nowadays i don't want to know please <laughs> don't tell me. college education dental I'm still single you know. i don't want to know <laughs> you're still single i know look there's the i don't know how many young ladies watch this but like you, two maybe two. <laughs> <It's that. laughs> he's available oh <laughs> uh, no i'm not i'm working hard i don't have enough time no distractions mm-hmm I'm just saying it costs a lot of money to run a household. Absolutely. It costs a lot of money to run a business. So um, the idea of earning more in investments, I get it. But you talk, I mean, just in Nelson's book, The Airplane, you know, you're trying to get an extra, you know, one or two or 10% going against the headwinds. Yeah. Or do you want to get the tailwind? Yeah. You want to go two to five miles an hour faster into a hundred mile headwind. Yeah. And he thought about landing the plane and waiting for the tailwind to come to propel you on your own without even trying. This puts jet Mm. engines, the infinite banking concept puts jet engines to everything you're doing. I don't care who you are and what you're doing. Yeah. It doesn't matter. And then let's, and let's go even further into that. I mean, the, the opportunities that will come your way, in the form of your own investment in yourself, uh, you know, buying the neighbor's house when they decide to move from across the street, going into business with your uh, partner or colleague at work or whatever it might be, whatever you're going to, all the opportunities that will come your way, they're of a categorically distinct kind relative to what you see on television (coughs) and the Facebook ads, right? They're, you, you go to get your list of potential quote unquote investment options from your employer and it's what a page of eight to 15 different options that have been marketed to everybody else in your company yeah, but everybody you, else in the state everybody else in the country might even be marketed globally you know that's the pond you're going to jump in right okay so <laughs> relatively few options to start with relatively homogenous in nature mass marketed Sure. And therefore exposed to the problems of fractional reserve banking. That's a whole other created thing. for the mass. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, in, in uh, speaking with Der- Barry Dock the other day, talking about some of his books, I mean, he, he gets really deep into that. The target date funds, and you've got to opt out. The default investment yeah. elections. Um, 
Yes. If you want to give yourself struggles to sleep at night, just go spend some time researching all of that. What we're talking about here is the alternative, the positive vision, what can happen if you do have substantial control over financial value, capital. You know, that's positive in in and of itself. If Mm -hmm. I have access to my capital Mm -hmm. and there's a lot of it, what's negative about that? What's that quote in here? (laughs) If you have access to a... I'll just read it. If you have access to a... Does having money safe and available when you need it take away any of your options? Who who was that? (laughs) Bill Lenderman. I don't know Bill, but I like the way he thinks. I know. Good job, Bill. You know, and kind of this gets in, I think Nelson mentions it somewhere around the the, uh, topics that you read, somewhere around there, I think. And I'll maybe put this in two the notes in the bottom. Frederick Bastiat, mm. you know, uh, um, 18th century, 19th century philosopher, French, mm-hmm. I believe is 1850, mm-hmm. France. Around there, yeah. Um, written <clears throat> a lot of different things. He's written the uh, law, which you should read the law. But he, he wrote a lot of other little essays. Mm-hmm. One of them was called That Which Is Seen and That Which Is Unseen. Ooh, yeah. So when you're looking at a life insurance illustration, Nelson talked about it there, but I think he mentions specifically the seen and the unseen. Um, mm-hmm. Nelson, when he's writing about that, look, you cannot see the airplane. You cannot see the forest, you know, uh, the timberland that he bought and financed and sold and financed. You cannot see the the camera that he financed, you you can't see all of that. So there is the scene, and it's completely apparent. There is the unseen, oh. and it's important. You know, it's just you it know goes that back. Same to, language as in Corinthians. It's no, we're out. Yeah, no, it's biblical. Yeah, enlighten, right, educate me. Well, no, I got, I don't have the verse offhand, <clears> but it's in Corinthians, and we should go into that sometime. But that's okay. exactly right. You know, when you talk about capital as the product, as the physical stuff, well, you can see that mm-hmm. you can see the machines sure. and the factories and sure. the mines and all the, the road raw material. You, you can see all of that. All the laborers mm-hmm. doing what, the labor. What you don't see, what is in the mind of the entrepreneur only oh my is the capital value oh of gosh. those production goods. And then too, <sighs> you know, when it gets to life insurance and, and I know we've talked about illustrations an awful lot and illustration, life insurance illustration has all the numbers on the page. If you pay this premium, there's this cash value, there's this death benefit. Um, that's what you see if nothing changes, mm. but mm. you cannot see the mind, uh, Bastiat, not Bastiat, Hayek, one of Hayek's, uh, one of my favorite quotes from Hayek is the mind cannot foresee its own advance. Right? Let's talk about the seen and the unseen. You don't know what's going to happen next year, five years from now, ten years from now. But having access to capital that you own and control is not going to hinder a dang thing. And it might produce opportunities that you can't even see or wrap your mind around yep. today. Going back to Nelson, the, the results were the results from the two additional investments were not quite this good, but they were highly profitable. These facts are not seen as you look at the graph. These facts are not seen as you look at the graph or the illustration. You have to add these results in your mind to what is shown on the graph to understand the total power of dividend-paying whole life insurance. Now, i got to add that in my mind. 
I've got to put that together in my mind. Don't you have some kind of third-party software that you can put all that together for me, Mr. Griggs? I'm just saying. Uh, it's a legitimate question. It's and, a question, all right. Yeah. It's questionable. <laughs> you know, I also, <laughs> um, I also have to say that back in 2012, I think, was the original printing of Building the Warehouse. One with the endorsements, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, you know, Nelson, I think I met Nelson in 2003, 2004, somewhere around there. And we had lots of conversations. So I knew that he had, you know, went to a lot of seminars, hosted him here in North Texas and around. Um, I did not know until I met Nelson Nash that the State Farm PNC property and casualty agent could write a check like that. He went to a State Mm -hmm. Farm's uh, agent's office and mm-hmm. got a check. Okay, now and I'm going back up. I'm, you know, <laughs> I'm just saying that 2003 or four is when I personally started doing uh, retirement seminars. You know, where you go out and you invite people to come and you go through, you know, retirement. Um, and and to you know, seminars cost a lot of money. <laughs> <laughs> you know, especially if you feed the attendees. Right. right. And, and you're, you know, there's equipment projections, projectors, mm-hmm. and, you know, I have hearing issues. So, you know, um, <laughs> you know, the, the monitor, the screen, the speaker system, all of that. And then the invitations, the mailing, the postage, so much the lunch, putting it all together, setting it up, breaking it down, coming home. Anyway, I'm just, I'm saying that it cost a lot of money to do that. <clears throat> and, I funded the first retirement seminar before I met, um, no, it was after I'd met Nelson. Um, I funded the seminar a couple of ways. First, I went and sold a bunch of cows, right? And the next thing, in this, this truck that I was driving back then was kind of beat up a little bit. I mean, it was still nice, but, you know, the headlight was busted out, taillight was busted out because I had longhorns, right? Mm. And you drive it out in the pasture and you're loading, unloading hay and equipment, whatever it is, right? And so it's a little bit beat up, and I'm thinking, so this was after I had done seminars. The first seminars were funded through the sale of the cows. I meet Nelson, because I started doing seminars about 2003. I met Nelson about 2004, I believe, and I heard this story. Right, how he went down to the state farm agents, told that boy, sit, sit, sit still, don't move, you know. And I, I'm thinking, what? So I called up. The, I had State Farm at the time, so um, my truck's beat up, and I'm thinking, okay, I'm gonna fund. You know, it cost money to do seminars. I kept doing. We did like 27 seminars a couple of years ago. We did a lot of them. My point is this: that I called up my State Farm agent. I went and got three bids on repairs for this truck. And told the state farm agent, I'm going to bring these to you and I'm going to check. And you know what he said? He said, bring them on. <laughs> so I went over to the state farm office and got a claim check on a vehicle. I didn't even know you could do that. Mm-hmm. So just sharing a little bit. No, that's good. Sideline. That's just the same process of revelation and discovery as you come to understand infinite banking. Yeah, but then you bring in the infinite banking concept into a retirement seminar for about an hour, an hour and a half, and oh my gosh, I'm trying to cover too much ground. Oh, it can't be done. It was bad. Yeah. But I did sell a lot of books. Can't be done. Got That's a lot of clients. Fun. I still love them. I still have them. Anyway. Wow. <laughs> I didn't mean a, to sidetrack that, you. That was, no, you're good. I, that, I mean, we covered a lot. 
from capital saving as the creation of capital, you know, the idea that the conception of capital that Nelson had is exactly what Ludwig von Mises and Karl Menger had, even though it's not what most of the Austrians today have in mind. Uh, and then we saw with building your warehouse of wealth, how you know, having access to a large pool of financial value will attract opportunities both to invest in others and yourself to you. Yeah, Nelson mentioned that, and I think he brought that up too in your talk. Nelson mentions how capital um, attracts opportunity mm-hmm. several different ways. He did it one way in building a warehouse of wealth. He said it another way, maybe in a live. He would say they hunt opportunities hunt you down in person. And he was standing right over there. In fact, last time I heard him say that. <laughs> yeah, perfect. <clears throat> All right, I'm good. I'm good too. Thanks for listening. Hope you uh, enjoy it. I had fun. Yeah, me too. Hopefully that wasn't too much. (laughs) For who? Hey. Hey. All right. Thanks, y'all. See you next time. He's available. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Thank you for joining us on the Banking with Life podcast. If you're watching on YouTube, make sure to like and subscribe and click on that little notification bell. Otherwise, join us on Apple Podcasts and Stitcher for weekly content.